This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Creatively Wired. I'm here, as always, with Jeremy Mao. And today, I'm very excited to say we are joined by Dr. Laura Hoey, who is a super interesting person, works in theatre, has worked a lot with the deaf community and, and doing multi-language projects. I think she can probably tell you much better the, than me what she does. So, so I'll stop talking now and um, just say welcome. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, I don't think I would be able to do much of a better job, but I'll try. Um, what do I do? Um, I make theatre. Um, I work as a director. I work as a movement director. I teach at the University of Waikato. So I run the, I convene the theatre studies programme. At the moment, um, yeah, that's me. So take us back to um, where did you get your start in theatre? Oh, good question. Um, so I started by joining a youth theatre in Manchester in the north of England, which was fabulous. Um, I wish they were still a thing um, in England because it, they're, they're not, unfortunately, anymore as common anyway. So these were it was a, a big a big one, and um, people applied from all over the country to go. And yeah, it was a chance to meet some amazing artists and to work with industry professionals at an early age. Um, and it was there that I met, I was um, being a part of the show Cabaret right. um, at the uh, um, Library Theatre in Manchester, fabulous theatre. And I actually entered that production with some hearing issues. It's a long story, but I went to um, um, Ibiza after my post-16 exams with my sister on a bit of a happy holiday. And you know those big inflatable boats that yeah. you, then they take you out at sea and you go really, really fast? And So I was on the back of one of those and kind of fell off and hit the water, um, just bang on my ear. And I didn't notice until I flew home and my face started to swell up. Um, and so straight to um, the hospital, straight to ENT, uh, long story, but I damaged the little conducting bones in yep. my ear. Like the I won't pretend to know what they are, but <laughs> congratulations for you knowing. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I had to, to wear um, like antibacterial, uh, antibiotic coils and then the infection kind of spread and my eardrum nearly got pierced and da da da. So anyway, by the time I was in the show, I was, I was at a stage where I, I couldn't hear anything in one ear and I was really limited in the other. And they had a choreographer for the show who was fluent in sign language, a lady called Isolde Avila. And she, uh, she was in a theatre company. 
a deaf-led dance theatre company. Wow. And her partner was, do you remember the deaf actor from Four Weddings and a Funeral? A guy called David Bauer. I don't know if you remember Hugh Grant's brother. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that show, would that film had just, just um, sort of come out and it was, um, yeah, so I think they noticed I was struggling and they started signing to me um, on stage. So I picked up that much quicker because I couldn't hear anything with the chaos. I had to sing a cappella on stage, so they had to let me know when to start, and it was just all quite terrifying. So that was um, super helpful. And, um, yeah, the offshot of that, a long way of saying, is that that, that theatre company, Common Ground, Sign Dance Theatre, actually invited me to join them from a really young age. So that's where I got my first professional gig. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was amazing because it was a deaf-led um, dance theatre company. So to be able to learn about choreography and movement from specialists of embodied movement <laughs> was really special and a real gift um, to receive. So, so yeah, I was lucky my hearing um, improved, um, and um, but I still got to take that that quite special cultural gift, mm. um, which I feel very privileged to mm. have been, yeah, to have been gifted. So. Yeah, and and what was it about theatre at that at that young age? What made you go? I need to be on that stage doing that stuff instead of, you know, anything else you could be doing at that age. Yeah, well, I guess the 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 usual, you know, the buzz of the buzz of performing. Mm -hmm. But I think for me as well, it was particularly seeing how um, from quite an early age, seeing how stories and how shows could make a difference mm. to people's lives. Um, beyond just entertainment. Mm. That's what really interested um, me. Um, mm. And particularly when seeing Common Ground's work, how they'd go into, uh, cause they would, they toured quite prolifically as, as a company across England and in Europe, but they would also, so they'd go to theatres, they'd go to festivals, but they'd also go to hospitals or schools or wow. units where people, need, you know, it was really varied work. And I think that's what made me so excited, um, just to see the scope and to see the difference that the arts can make. Um, and just seeing stories on st and the importance of seeing stories that are relevant mm -hmm. on stage and how that can impact on people's lives. That's the kind of thing that still gets me quite excited now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, cl clearly that describes at least the, you know, the, the two plays of yours that I've seen is that it is stories that are clearly, you know, powerful and have impact on people's lives. So it's cool that, you know, that's, that was your formative time and that's what's carried through and what you're still, you know, what you're clearly really interested in now. Yeah, brilliant. And so through that common ground, through the, that company, is that where you started to um, learn more about devised practice as well or was that taught choreography? No, that that was a really, they had a really interesting working process actually, Common Ground. So they would, um, we'd often work through the body first, which is something that impacted me hugely and something I still do today. Um, and then they would work, every project was different, um, but they would work with um, dramaturgs, writers, poets, um, lots of different people depending on the project to come in and help shape the work, but there'd be a, a sense of a transaction of ideas almost, so the dancers would create choreography that would be shared, writers would write, that gets thrown into the pot, mm -hmm. and everybody's in response and in dialogue to each other, um, which is something, um, yeah, something I still do mm -hmm. a lot of today. 
So, um, yeah, so tell, tell us more about that. Like, how does that look as a... So your work is devised? Not always. Not always? Yeah, not, 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 not always. Since I've come to Aotearoa more so, I guess, um, that seems to be where I'm, yeah, heading more in the, for the past six, seven years. Before, in my career in the UK, I'd say it was quite split, really, between devised original new works, but also um, moving, coming in as a director for shows or... Um, I do a lot of training performers as well, so training ensembles, um, dancers, actors, um, and all, yeah, it's kind of a wide, wide mix. But certainly since um, since coming here, lots more from the devised realm. Mm. So at the end of my hands and Salonica, they were both devised pieces. Yes. So for a, for a, a, a theatre ignorant person like myself, <laughs> talk us through what, how does what it, how does that work? What does that look like? You... Well, it's a devised piece of theatre. Yeah. Um, what do you my, start with? My students would, would be so pleased right now to hear me in this position. We just spent a paper looking at what is devised theatre. <laughs> um, so yeah, devised theatre is, is, is absolutely anything um, you want it to be. Um, we often, I don't start from a traditional play script, mm -hmm. but some devised works do. I don't. I like to make um, something unique and original um, mm -hmm. and wholly so. Um, and I like the stories to emerge from the people that I'm working with mm. as well. Um, so for At the End of My Hands, um, that was a project that was born out of community engagement. Um, so when I arrived um, in New Zealand, I missed working with deaf artists um, and wanted to hang out with some amazing deaf artists. So I set up some workshops and we did some hanging out and we did some great stuff. And then from that, I found a group of people that I went on to make to make that show with. And that show was, um, I guess, sort of important because there wasn't much work working with deaf artists um, happening at, at that phase. There, was, there had been a couple of, of little um, smatterings of, of things happening. Um, some work in Wellington and in Auckland. Um, but nothing um, out of Hamilton. And when I, I consulted with the deaf community to see what stories they wanted to tell, um, and they were particularly keen to share stories of deaf history and things that the majority of the hearing audiences probably don't know um, mm. to kind of share that. So that's where we started, and we started sharing their stories, and we started working without any language at all, and how do we get stories across, and then we started adding in form, but the formal language comes later, particularly when working bilingually, when you've got one embodied manual language and one spoken language, um, it's, that is best to add later, and then we always work with the manual language as the, as the, um, as the, the priority. Mm. Mm. Cool. And what is, what is that, is there like a a sketching process. So as a visual artist, I sketch at the start and musicians might play around on a keyboard or muck around on a guitar and then that will turn into something. What's the what's the theatre sketching look like? <laughs> Again, it's totally different with every project. Without the end of my hands, um, I had a sense of, of, of the movement aesthetic and maybe that's the thing where I, that's where I start. So I know what, how I want it to to look from a movement perspective. Um, and I wanted it to be really physically bold and I wanted to um, kind of explore the theatricality of, of this amazing language that we're working with. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so 
yeah, so that's where we started with that piece. But really, it's driven by the by the by the group, um, and this is something I love about the devising process because it's completely unique. Each process is completely different, and I think the the commonality is that we go in prepared to play every day, and then we respond to what's been played and shared with, and then we know our next step. And I think it's as simple for me um, as knowing what comes next or trusting my gut with what I think will happen mm. next. So we, so we play, we throw lots of materials up. I, I come up with some, um, I guess I'll call it scaffold or structures to, um, of exercises in order to generate ideas. Um, and then it's, yeah, it becomes a dialogue between um, the group. Mm. And so when you're starting to work with performers, individuals, the deaf community, any community in that context. In the beginning, do you find you have to do a lot more prompting, a lot more um, supporting, or yeah, um, I get. Well, we call it with the with the students who um, some of whom are quite new to it, some of them aren't, some of them are really experienced. Um, but we usually work through provocations, mm -hmm. uh, which is a nice yeah a nice way just to kind of provoke, stimulate ideas. Um, and if you're lucky, if you get a really rich one, it can spin off into all kinds of directions. And then my job is to kind of rein things in and, and see what there is there and actually put that material um, on stage in relation to each other. So maybe take mm -hmm. that random little bit that group's done and that random little bit that group's done and just see what happens when, those, when that's in dialogue with each other, when it's in relationship with each other. And I think that's um, you know, the director's task when you're working with devised work in particular. Because at its core, I, I mean, I, Obviously not always, but I imagine a lot of it is biographical or connected because it's based on the people who are in the room and it's connected to their sense of who they are and their sense of cultural identity. Um, there's an inherent vulnerability with that as well. Um, in those early stages, is that one of the kind of more tricky things to... Um, Breakdown is the wrong word, but to foster, navigate, yeah, and yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, sometimes, sometimes, but I often find that people are really excited to share their stories, um, particularly if they see um, that that can make an impact for their for their communities. Um, so, I think it's it's. It's brave, and I think each um, every time we're working with a, with a story that an actor brings, I'm I'm always hugely respectful and I'm sensitive to that. But it's um, yeah, I, I treat it as as a gift almost that kind of needs nurturing. Um, but I often find people are excited and inspired to share and to think about how this how how this can land in the the hearts of the audience because, you know, I say this to groups whenever we start, we can't. Guaranteed, we can't control how this work lands mm -hmm. in the hearts and the eyes and the ears of our audience. Um, but that's part of the magic of the transaction, and that's something that we explore together, which um, which is really exciting. Mm. Um, so yeah. And I imagine that <clears throat> that respect you have, and that as you say, treating it like a treasure, that that creates uh, a culture. Of, of mutual respect anyway, right? You know, as, as the, uh, you know, someone directing, then you create that environment where people would feel safe to share that. And also, if you're modelling that kind of behaviour as a response to it, then that 
would create an environment where other people are doing the same. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And I think that's something that we set up with each new project, actually, is creating that safe space to share. Um, and people are in control as well. That's the other thing in the devising process. You know, you can explore something and go, you know what, I'm actually, I'm not going to take that on. That's been really interesting for me, but I'm just going to park that there. We're going to move here instead. So we can be very adaptive throughout the process. That's one of the joys of devising, right? Mm. Yeah. When you're working on individual moments, it's very small and nuanced, and it's about that glimpse at that specific second. And as you're working through these kind of moments, you're doing that one bit over and over again and, and de delving into different kind of ways of approaching it. And so you've got this little kind of, this ball of time and this ball of time and this ball of time. That doesn't make a play a whole bunch of balls of time. The, the, the macro scale, the kind of the arc mm -hmm. is which balls go in which order and how they kind of flow together. How do you, as a director, because you're kind of responsible for mm. the big picture yeah. as well as the small, yeah. intricate details. That makes sense. Yep. So you've got to be able to kind of zoom in and out quite rapidly. Mm. Mm. Um, is there a, a kind of way that you conceptualize that? Are you doing, are you flicking regularly or do you go deep and then reset and Go, go wide. Uh, yeah, is it so different each time? It, it's different each time, but I have again. I have some commonalities in the way I work. So, I'm not someone who will script or work with writing very much. Um, I cut things out on the floor, and I they could be ideas. They could it could be an idea for a scene. It could be a concept. It could just be um, a, a, a physical sequence, a physical score that all goes down on the floor, and then it's just a big jigsaw where we kind of move things into place and try and get the shape, um, and then. For I mean, sometimes for for Salonica, um, a piece that we did um, a couple of years ago, um, that show kept developing throughout. So we we took that show um, on European tour and then back here and in, um, in uh, for Aotearoa tour, and that was developing consistently throughout. But even at the very beginning of the process, we knew what we wanted that piece to be. So we knew um, we wanted, and we knew. The, we knew what the end of the piece basically. So, so we had the the last ten minutes was the bit that we started with, if that makes sense, right. and then the rest of it came. For um, at the end of my hands, that was a very organic process that was absolutely in response to the stories that the artist brought to the table. So, dramaturgically, which is what you're talking about when you, the, the the structure of how that um, exists on stage, is the journey that you want to take your audience. Through. So they were lots of little vignettes of stories that, so we played with which structure would work. But essentially, we took it from a, a chronology from starting from being small to, to, to right. old. So we, we found just a very loose framework where we could explore that. And we also look at the um, emotional and the energetic um, gear changes, for want of a better thing, so, you know, for want of a better word. So, so we take the audience on an experiential journey with mm. us. Um, for the piece we're working on right now with Equal Voices, our, our new piece that's coming up, um, it's going to be performed next January. It's called Where Our Shadows Meet. Um, and that's been a really interesting process as well because where we started with that piece, we've actually really deviated from. So in the, in the, um, in the process of workshopping ideas, one clear idea has emerged that everybody wanted to follow. Um, 
and now we're kind of scaffolding the order of that story. So we're, we're, I guess we're breathing life into it as, as it goes, but we have the overall arc in place. Um, and I'm working on another piece at the moment. I'm working on with a writer, um, the very wonderful um, Sian Gardner. Uh, we're, we're working together on, on her next piece. And that, again, was um, very broad, where we started, and we've gone much more focused in how that's going to be um, uh, composed uh, and constructed. So that's, uh, yeah, started off really, really wide, and now we're following a very specific story that's kind of emerging through telling each other stories and mm. trying to bat them around the room. And then we're suddenly, that's a great idea, let's go with that. And then, so, and then we, we follow off down that path, and sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does work. So it's, it's hard to describe, and it's very fluid. But I guess my main, my main thing when it comes to um, dramaturgical structure, flow, rhythm, dynamics, is, is I'll make something, and then we always te road test it on, on an audience. And I think that's where I see... Because when I see it with others for the first time, particularly when I'm working on bilingual work and I sign and um, can hear the spoken English as well, so it's quite hard for me to separate from what for what the audience might be getting as well. So it's super helpful to have that audience alongside, and you can tell, you know, you can tell what lands, what doesn't. You can tell what works, what doesn't. Sometimes something that we think is going to be amazing just no, no, it's nope. Um, and I think that. That process is the most exciting for me when I first, even if it's not finished, it can be quite rough and ready. But when we first share with um, with the audience, that's when I see what needs to be done next. Right, mm. and so that really it's that that kind of a moment that allows you to move from the kind of the intricate parts to the 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 big scale yeah yeah and I'll often go to the big scale early anyway so I'll, I'll from from the playing and the ideas will often emerge a path mm -hmm. we might not end up with that path but we'll certainly go down and explore and that's where we'll start our explorations right um but this is the joy I mean we're doing a devised piece of work with the students at the University of Waikato at the moment and it's, it's one of the huge privileges of being able to make device work is that we can respond to what is going on in the world right now mm. and as artists we can imagine new futures and we can you know we can play with everything that's happening and and, and propose solutions propose ideas problems share issues so I think that's um yeah that's something that's so vibrant about about the process is that it can go off in any direction at any time and I think that's the some of my students find that difficult because it's almost too open and too wide at first, which is why I try when I'm people when I'm working with people that aren't as experienced to at least give structure and scaffold for them to explore within. Mm. But then you can soon come away, and then they stand now. They're, they're I mean, this current group are just running at it. They perform in in, um, in a couple of weeks, and it's mm. yeah, they're doing great. That's exciting. I, I, I do love hearing other creative people talk about creativity in that way, that it is, you know, that it can explore the stuff often quite, quite rapidly that, um, that's going on in the world. And I think what I find particularly exciting about it is I think in, there's so many dimensions to it, and I think often in other areas of thinking or exploring, people get stuck. Because I think I think often in other areas it's sort of more of a cerebral exercise only, 
Whereas obviously that is part of creativity, but I think, you know, hearing you talk about it, it's also, you're feeling it as well as thinking about it and you're switching between those spaces and you're, it's a, it's a, I think a powerful language to kind of, yeah, make sense of a quite a, we're moving quite a chaotic it as well. world. We're moving it, you know, we're, we're, we're putting it in our bodies and we're moving, which mm. I think that's the bit that excites me the most. Because mm. I guess there's a level of trust that you have in your own physicality that you know intrinsically when something feels right. It, is that something that you've always had or is that something that you've kind of developed? I'm not sure. That's a good question. I I think maybe I, maybe I know. Maybe, maybe there is a knowing mm. and I think maybe that's you don't know, you know it as a young artist. And I think one of the ways that we develop is by getting more in tune with that. Um, some people want, might want to call it intuition, instinct. Um, but I know for my journey, something that has been refining um, th over the years is that I have listened much more to that sense of what's right and what we go with. Whereas earlier on in my career, I would be second guessing and, and, and mm. you know, is this, is this right? Is this, but. So it's learning to trust as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And learning to trust that inner voice. Like I say, we'll all have different words for it, I'm sure. But um, when I put something on my body or in my body, or if I explore it through the body, I generally will get a sense of, yep, this is, this is, this is right. Yeah. And Which isn't always right for the performers, actually, and that's something that I, because as I, as a choreographer, I, I don't choreograph onto people for that reason, because it might be all right for me, but I don't know if it's going to be all right for their bodies. Um, so I do work maybe slightly differently um, in that respect, uh, is I'll often take people on a movement journey and say, okay, so where, where do you feel you need to go next? And that's how we'll build the choreography very intuitively, mm -hmm. as opposed to me having a vision of a how that movement will look. So it's much more exploratory, I Right, because you start with the people, whereas I, correct me again if I'm wrong, because I'm not a theatre expert, but I imagine there'd be other people who are directing who would start with the idea or the script or whatever and then find the people that fit that. We need this amazing dancer who can do this kind of movement yeah. and this person with this kind of voice or whatever. Yeah, and like I say, there's, there's different approaches, mm. but... Um, that's, yeah, I'd say the majority of, of my work. And, and it, even if I think I'm going in with a really clear idea, like I did with this last piece, it's gone completely off now <laughs> in response to the brilliant things my performers are bringing. And I, you just, I can't ignore that, you know? It's like, okay, they're bringing this stuff. I'm going to go down that, well, there, that, there's that some, road. There's <laughs> something so exciting about your openness to that sense of collaboration as a journey where, like, there would be plenty of directors or writers who are like, no, no, this is the way that we're doing it. And you you do the thing that I tell you to do in the way that I tell you to do it. And rightly or wrongly, that's, that's a way that people work. But there's something really powerfully trusting about your openness to let's play and, and work out what works. It's terrifying, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, I notice that fear every time. And I'm starting to learn to love that fear. Mm -hmm. it's, that's not always been the case. But I often, as I said to this, the, the current group of students that I'm working with, you know, I have no idea. I don't think I've got an idea. I'm going to go with <laughs> what you bring. And particularly for that process, because I'm trying to take them on a pedagogical, experiential journey mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
so that's that's got added layers of of, of complexity. But uh, yeah, I haven't for that project. I haven't really got a clue where they're they're in control. Mm. Um, but for my professional collaborative work, that's the magic for me. You know that being in the moment, present with a group of people, being in the moment, mm. present, and I feel that that's the magic mm. of creativity. I feel like that's where the humanness is. I mean. You know, theatre's, Oscar Wilde says something, is that theatre's exploring um, with other human beings what it's like to be human being. Mm -hmm. No, I've got that wrong. Um, it's Theatre is exploring what it's like to be human and sharing that with a group of other human beings. Right. There you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I've butchered that quote. <laughs> what, what sort of things do they, do you learn from them through that process? From... From, sorry, from the from the um, people in your plays, what sort of things do they teach you? Maybe oh. inadvertently. Just, I guess, coming back into that anchoring into trust, um, and that there's, I feel that if people, something that we, because I often work through, I guess, trying to cultivate principles of working together as a group, and some of those um, are common in all of the projects I work on. And what a big one for me is um, it's just open-heartedness. Um, uh, it's a beautiful French term um, called disponibilité, which is just an openness and an availability. It's a term by um, uh, Jacques Lecoq uh, from the famous theatre school in Paris. And I just love it, but it doesn't. We don't quite have the um, as richer translation, um, but that's something that we try and foster and engender, and I try and. Um, foster that in each of the performances I work in because that's in that open-hearted space is, is like you say, is, is, where the, is where the magic happens. So when people bring whatever they have to say and share with the world, that's exciting. Mm. That's what they have to share with the world. Mm. And I get to be a part of communicating that or helping that exist and come to life on stage. That's a privilege. Is that a pressure as well? Yes, at times. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously. And this is, you know, the, the, when we're in um, creating for, for joy is wonderful, but also when there's a deadline and there's budgets that need to be spent and <laughs> you need to have a product at the end of it and pay people and it, it can become pressured. But I try and just always anchor into the, to the, to the magic each time, you know. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm doing it, so I like to come back to... Hmm. to basics so we'll often even at the start of every day in rehearsal you know that's we'll take a moment to kind of remember what we're doing <laughs> and then when I'm spinning off panicking which does happen for those that have worked with me before um, then at least you know it's a welcome reminder to come back into into our bodies really for me which is um, and less into my worrying brain hmm. um, which is where we need to be to be making there's there's something I think really beautiful about the way that you work in that and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but it seems to me like every part of the process is a step on an ongoing journey in that works are never finished mm. they're always developing and changing and, and being devised and redevised and the the process of showing that at a workshop showing or to audiences or, or to whomever um, is, is not a, a finish. 
No, it's think, a snapshot of a moment in time. Yeah, mm. and I think that there's something really intriguing about that creatively because in so many other art forms, there can be a tendency to polish a thing until it's the finished product and this is the finished thing and this is what mm. I share with people. And I mean, you see it in pop music all the time, people making records, it's like yeah, they, yeah. they spend so long on this one thing that like they've only, they're the only people who have listened to it for two years and then they end up hating the music. There's something so fresh and vital about this constant showing and iteration and development and shifting. Yeah, I think it keeps it, it keeps the liveness as well because I know that um, something that I see often as a, as a theatre director, when you see things go stale, do you know what I mean by that? When you've seen, when they've performed a million times and they know what they're doing and they know they take three steps now and they know they pick up their glass and they take a sip of water and this is when I think this and da 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 da, da. <laughs> And that's great. Um, but we work a lot with this idea of we build a physical score. It could be a written, you know, if there's um, speech or text or, or a script, um, we lose these words, quite, the, these words quite loosely depending on what we're making. But for me, the... Um, I keep using this word magic, is when you can breathe new, fresh life every single time that you put that you share that with an audience is quite a sacred transaction. Um, and I think, for me, the magic of live theatre is when the audience discovers it at the same time as the performers do. Um, so I feel I often, and my casts may rue me for this, but I've changed things maybe the night before a show on the technical rehearsal if I think <laughs> if they think they're dropping into then it's it's it has been known but sometimes I'll see something new I think you know what this is going to be so much better if we try this why don't we try that and if they're there with this is why we look at these these principles underpinning the working process I guess so that's you know this idea of open-heartedness um trust so there is that trust there when I throw in a curveball and say, can we just, you know that thing that you've been doing, we're just going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, but often it'll be exciting to go with that, and particularly when they trust each other to be able to respond and react in the moment to each other in front of a live audience. You never know what's going to happen. It's going to be different every night. And that flame, mm -hmm. that flame, the magic, oh, that's the bit that I just get so excited about. But that's that, that level of trust and that mm. will it, being willing to be open to listen and to respond and to to be in to be the present. moment. To be, be present. Fully present. Absolutely. Mm. But so many of us aren't in our daily lives. That's that's the it's, it's a huge thing. Um, and even, you know, I, uh, I've done performances where I've been mostly in my worrying head, oh, I need to do this, need to do this. And thinking about what's going to exactly what you're going to cook for oh yeah well yeah <laughs> there has been those as well um, or even what's coming next or you know but to be able to I think that's that's yeah for me that's 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 the art and that, um, I mean they must your performers must feel that as well right I imagine it as you say it could you know maybe it can throw them a little bit but they must feel it as well if you make that shift and it's exciting we're trying this thing you know we, you never quite know if it's going to work and then mm. if, if it does. That must be a real thrill on stage. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you you can feel that when that happens. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, and the way I set things up do it does support this process. I don't choreo, for example. I don't choreograph things so specifically that it can't be moved. Right. I very much set things up within structures where I expect them to be improvising within structures on the night. If that makes sense, yep. to support them to find 
that liveness. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. That's, yeah, that's really beautiful to hear it described in that way. Yeah. So thinking about the the New Zealand-based deaf work, is there a kind of central line of exploration through all the works, or are they more separate than that? There is. There absolutely is. I'm fascinated by looking at the dramaturgical possibilities of putting not only two languages on stage together, but trying to subvert how things are done normally. So often, uh, and you'll see um, a show done and there's a sign language interpreter in the corner, which is amazing. This is vital for access and is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. I am also interested in what comes next. So how can we start to see deaf performers on stage? What happens if we put New Zealand Sign Language on stage without direct translation into English? Does that show teach the hearing audience something special? Do they have to work a little bit harder to communicate? Does that teach them something about hearing privilege? So all of these questions are being explored through this work. Um, and they're, they're general throughout. And the other thing... Um, that we've been working on, particularly in this last show, is we're moving into a very much a deaf-led space. The work gets more and more complicated. I am hearing, I am from England. This is not necessarily my space to be leading in. It's definitely not my space to be leading in. Um, I'm very lucky I've got an amazing team around me. Um, I have an amazing um, deaf producer, and she's also an NZSL consultant for us. So all the linguistic choices go through her. I'm working with a wonderful deaf performer called um, Tora Hubner, um, who uh, is just fantastic. She is a relatively newcomer to the stage, hasn't performed much before. Um, so we're working as, as, as a big team. I've got um, a deaf specialist who is currently Zooming in from uh, overseas, because she should be here as part of the project, but because of um, COVID, that's not been possible. So we are having to be incredibly creative and innovative about how we run the rehearsal room, bearing in mind we've got three languages going on, because there's spoken English, there's British Sign Language, and there's New Zealand Sign Language. NZSL and BSL are similar. However, NZSL is beautifully unique, and we need to respect um, the uniqueness of this language, which is why we almost have a gatekeeper who is our producer, our NZSL consultant, who then is the language advisor to make sure everything is grounded in the hands of a first language user. That's so important. So those are the kind of ethics and um, overriding principles that we have guiding that work. Um, And I'm excited with where that work's going because, yeah, it's getting linguistically and culturally exciting. You know, We're, um, we're exploring stories where there's a slightly different hearing narrative from a deaf narrative, and we're putting these cultures... Yeah, so the stories, because obviously the deaf audience is going to get a whole different story to the hearing audience, Mm, (laughs) because there's no direct translation. So you get this beautiful experience where the audience gets to experience being in the audience with the deaf community or being in the audience with the hearing community, and people are getting different things at different points. And that's actually really... There's a special sort of... um, I guess exchange almost that mm. happens within the audience as well as um, between the actors and the audience. So that that I find very very exciting. Is that conceptually difficult for the performers to be telling two separate stories at once? Because mm, they're not telling it really. It's it's um, they're telling their story, 
but right. it so happens that one of them is deaf and using NZSL and the deaf mm-hmm. audience will pick up exactly right. what they're saying. The hearing audience will be going, what? And I'm, I'm missing chunks of that, but that person's then speaking, so I'm going to follow what... Inferring so, context. Yeah, and why this is exciting as well is that we're respecting um, the kind of cultural identity and, uh, and awareness of the two different communities because they've got very, very different experiences, mm-hmm. lived experience, you know. The hearing community don't know um, what it's like to be oppressed through language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, or, or to have to work really hard to to maybe understand something, you know. They, they might, they're used to having things that they understand they don't have to work as hard for access <laughs> mm-hmm. so to play with some of these ideas and to flip some of these um, norms on their heads is deeply satisfying also deeply provoking um, and it makes a, a political statement of, of equality which mm. is exciting I think it's important for any dominant group to have an experience of exclusion you know I think that's mm. They don't I mean, like I, I'm in a dominant group and in, in, in probably just about <laughs> in so many mm. different categories, you know. Um, and it doesn't happen very often, mm. you know. So then when you do see it, I mean, for me, I'm excited by it. But I imagine for a lot of people it is really confronting. It's Because it's unusual. It's mm. like... Uh, Some ooh. people struggle. Some people are really open. Because um, we did quite a bit of research around the first two shows because I'm, you know, quite fascinated by this. And... Sometimes it just makes you look deeper, which can be beautifully liberating because, mm. uh, you know, there's also this idea of we, do you want to spoon feed the audience exactly what you mean by every point or do you want to leave something for interpretation? You know, do you want, how much can we create in a shared imagination? Who's to say your imagination is going invi- to, you know, have completely different perceptions of mine? There's only so much we can do, right? Um, but some, some hearing audiences have uh, expressed not many actually with with frustration but some you know i've i've had i remember one lady was very perturbed well why aren't you explaining everything absolutely why aren't you translating absolutely everything that someone tried to explain about <laughs> some of these um some of these ideas you know maybe and this is what it's like for for our deaf performer this is what it's like for a deaf performer all the time. You know, she has to work so much harder to, to understand <laughs> and what's going on now because there's no access available for her. You're not making this accessible in her language. She's still, you know, mm. um, working hard. But it's... It, so, yeah, some people do find it frustrating, but often I think um, it's hugely... Yeah, what's the word? When you experience it alongside when you're that sat there in an audience experience you know you're looking at the deaf audience laughing at something you you, you might have missed then it, it just i think it can just help you connect and, and see well what's going on how can i look differently at this what's happening where's my you know it, mm. it just yeah sometimes it makes them work a little bit harder but i think that's mm. no bad thing i think even on a simple level of just appreciating that other people will have different experiences based on on their lived experience yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly so, <laughs> Just looking to your side and going, oh, mm. okay, well, I wonder what they're experiencing. I think mm. even just that is is a powerful kind of mm. realisation. And respect for the diversity as well, of because I think that's something that's really important is we're trying to respect the fact that we all have hugely different lived experiences. And that's, um, and that's what's magic when you get a group of people together in a space, you know, that's what... I've been kind of missing through <laughs> in these recent few months. That's, you know, for me, a very special thing. So, Yeah. S- speaking of the recent few months, and, and I know that I, I didn't want to kind of delve too much into um, the process of teaching, but I'm, I'm particularly fascinated 
by the fact that you could teach a physical theatre paper via Zoom. So uh, I just want to know a little bit about, like, <laughs> what is that? How does that work? <laughs> what does that how look do like? You, how, do you can, how do you make that function in an online environment? We looked at the we looked we went back to the fundamentals of being in our bodies and how we tell stories through our bodies, why we tell stories through our bodies, why we tell stories at all. What's performance? We went right back to basics. Wow. And we had discussions about that, and we had discussions about the magic of telling stories and um, and all the things we can learn from them. We looked at how much we are in our, our bodies um, versus being in our cerebral minds. Um, and we went through various explorations um, to test out ways of, of being more somatically um, sensitive, shall we say. So more, more looking at our body's felt sense. We, yeah, we tried some stuff out. We got a bit experimental. Um, my group were brilliant and they were very warm and encouraging because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Never worked through Zoom before in these kind of, particularly with such embodied exploratory work. Um, and they were so open and they were so supportive that we just, we, we went for it. We tried everything. That's and awesome. Some stuff worked, some stuff didn't work quite as well, but we learned loads of stuff that surprised us um, to do with, yeah, to do with composing work, to do with editing work, to do with... Um, how you play with the cat, you know, you're talking to the camera, you're talking through the camera. How can we still find that level of connection with people if we're in a little box, you know? So we, we opened up a lot of the big questions and my students amazed me because they're brilliant. Mm, and, and that you worked it out together, I think, is, is really... I think we had to. I think they, they yeah, there's yeah. no point pretending. I went online and said, guys, thank you. I <laughs> have no idea what I'm going to do now. And they were just, they were so, so brilliant. And we had, we had fun together, you know. I looked forward to, to I looked forward to the classes. We composed. We we played with physical scores. We looked at movement vocabulary. We did um, uh, quite yeah somatic exploratory work. We they all made pieces to perform online. They awesome. were brilliant. They were all you know live. Mm -hmm. um, so we figured out how to make Zoom work for us. That's, um, that's so great. I, yeah. It, there's something about that that just seems so vital for everyone to have a, a, an awareness of. I mean, even as we kind of move in and at a lockdown level, Zoom is a reality of, of people's lives. And that, I think it comes back to what you're talking about, about being present and, and finding that presence within yourself to be in a moment and, and to be open. There's something that did um, come to me as you were talking then about being open to the wonders of Zoom. Was that something I've tried to scaffold into all of the, the teaching that I've had to do in the past six months? So they've become less about teaching skills-based and more about saying, okay, how can we use creativity to overcome these perceived boundaries? Which, is, of course, understood, this is underpins all my work with the deaf community as well and with mm -hmm. Equal Voices. It's looking at how these perceived, and I put, I'm doing air, air, what's it, if you can't see me, what do we call these? That's the one. Um, these perceived boundaries, how we can use creativity to overcome them and how we can be flexible and dexterous. And, and yeah, like you say, it comes back to being open, responsive to all of the things that are available to us instead of going, no, that's not going to work, that's a closed door, that's mm. a closed door, that's a closed door. Actually, well, no, this isn't ideal. 
And for my first class, I did think it was just about making shapes on Zoom. But no, we went much, much, much deeper, um, which, 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 was, which surprised me. And it's nice to be surprised because then you start thinking, well, what else is possible, you know? And I'd much rather be in that state than panicking and, and rigid in my beliefs because, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just learning and it's, it's quite exciting, I think. That's a super exciting <laughs> mindset to be in and thinking about um, the possibilities that are available mm -hmm. with the technology and the use and or misuse of it to enable kind of mm -hmm. creative responses. And, I mean, we see that throughout history in all kinds of art forms of people abusing technology in a way that it wasn't designed to create something new and exciting mm -hmm. and amazing. And um, that's so inspiring, I think, for those students to go through this process to think, oh, this thing, that oh, it's going to be dumb, it's a lecture on Zoom, whatever, um, to make it be this kind of rewarding experience that's, that's amazing. It was good for me. I have to say, I, I learned so much from them as well because, and I think this is another, you know, this idea of being rigid or, but as a teacher, I, you know, I think I want to put myself in a position where I'm always learning from the people, well, I am from everybody I work with, but particularly, you know, the students are, um, they're very agile with the technology um, and yeah, that's that's exciting when they can come up with because I'll often set them a series of problems, particularly when we did the live Zoom performances, <laughs> and we'd got technical advice and we'd been on all the and those let's just figure it out like a laboratory, you know. So they just did a, a loads and loads of tests on how you get them to because some of them were doing a piece where they were passing objects down <laughs> through the boxes, but of course you know with Zoom it changes the box order each time you go up and it depends on who comes into the room at what and then if you've got the audience on top of that, oh, they worked it all out, you know. Mm. I was so chuffed. I was That's like, cool. Yes, we can do this. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was it was it was exciting. They did brilliantly, and I was so pleased to keep that element of the live still, because I do feel there's something really magic about that space. Yeah, and you know, it's good to remember that creativity thr thrives with restrictions, even yes. if they're not yeah. restrictions that we would want to choose ourselves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, we can't yeah. be in the same space for, the, you know, exactly. for physical theatre or whatever. Exactly. That's what yeah. I said to the students on this, um, on the, the, on this devising process that we're going through um, currently. I mean, we're making a piece at the moment with the students that's going to, if we stay at this level, is going to be in the theatre. But actually, we have to have an online backup. I've never made a show that needs an online backup before. There's a whole new world, you mm. know. But we're playing with all these ideas of, of space and, and, and how it feels on Zoom and, and how we can mess with real space in a real theatre now and having that inform our process. So it's, yeah, it's exciting, you know. It's adding different layers mm -hmm. that we've never had to think about before. So, That's so good. <laughs> um, so in your own creative process when you're working with groups, what do you do if you're stuck? If there's a thing happening that you just, I don't know how to deal with this. Don't be afraid to to say it's not working and move on. Sometimes I get, sometimes it takes me a while to do that if I think it's 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 key and I forget <laughs> about all the nice things I've preached about during this podcast chat. <laughs> I go, but no, I really like that bit and I really wanted to go in the scene. Um, and sometimes I'll cling a little bit too much to it and then I'll just you know gently get a reminder to go. That's not. It's just not working. Maybe it's time to let that go. Mm. Um, so we let it go and we, we change. Um, 
and we keep playing. I never feel the need to have have the end um, product. That's something that I know frustrates some people that work with me because they want to know what the end product is. But I'm very much interested in the journey to, to get there and I'm very interested in responding to whatever's made. Whatever magic happens today, I respond to that and then I know what's coming next. That's my, that is my process, knowing mm. what happens next. <laughs> and I imagine if you jumped ahead that you would miss a whole lot of stuff as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you know, and and sometimes you keep going, and then there's a dead end, like that stuck mm. thing you described, which yeah, happens a lot actually. So maybe I'm I'm getting better at going. Okay, even though I love that idea, mm. but now I'm better at going. Okay, I'm going to save that then <laughs> for my <laughs> next <laughs> project. And then you're, because you, I often realize I'm there's four shows in one show. Yeah. You know, and there's there's just too much. And the idea, the joy, the beauty is sort of, I call it sieving, you know, for, for the gold. Yeah. So you just sieve through and then whatever's left, okay, that's the magic fairy dust, we're going to go with that. But there's all this stuff, you know, you can put that in your in your pocket, mm. For, mm. In your pocket for later. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that at the start of this discussion when we were, you know, talking about um, these moments that then build up a whole show and that, yeah, some of those moments might not fit in the whole mm. show. And, you know, I get that too as a creative person. It's like a, it's something I really want to work and something I'm making, but <laughs> no. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the only bit I'd visualise. <laughs> well, that's not going to make it. <laughs> it's hard to let go sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it is. But I think it's um, it's one of the important ones, isn't it? Of, of, and for me as well, it's um, the letting go is, is hugely important for all kinds of reasons. But particularly, um, you know, we talked about being open to, to that spirit of collaboration and, you know, sometimes you need to let go in order to be able to receive. So, hmm. yeah. You say no to one thing to say yes to another. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to know if there has been a really kind of impactful arts memory for you as an audience member. Um, I saw... A one-man show of Odysseus um, by a good friend um, of mine from the same youth theatre as I was telling you about um, from Manchester Youth Theatre, uh, a wonderful performer called George Mann, who works with a company called Theatre Ad Infinitum. Um, they're based in England and I think also Canada, but they tour internationally. His show, where he performs the full Odyssey as a one person on stage, just one human being, was so stunning. Wow. I was just, um, I just, you know, when you sat there with, with hung, hungry eyes thinking, how is this going to work? And I'm just, oh. Mm. It was absolutely stunning, the, the, the clarity and the communication. Uh, yeah, everything was just um, amazing. And I loved the simplicity of, it was just one person telling the biggest story. Yeah. <laughs> um, just with, uh, just with his body, um, and I love the simplicity. There's, there's no, there was, you know, nothing real fancy. Just something beautifully simple about that performance that really stayed with me. And I, for those of people that see my work, I, often it is quite simple. We're flooded, aren't we, with, um, uh, you know the new CGI movies, doo -doo -doo, where everything's so wow, 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 high tech, high tech, high tech. Well, I'm just there in a black box with people, just bodies. <laughs> I rarely have props. Um, there's something 
I love about creating the shared imagination um, because that could be anything, right? And we all perceive that differently. And I think that magic of just there being so little and it's so accessible as well, right? Because this is another thing I'm trying to teach the, the students. You don't need a like, big budget you know, to do all this stuff. You can just be you <laughs> doing your thing. Um, and th yeah, so I, I think I am inspired by just going right back to basics, simple storytelling through the body, human bodies on stage, sharing with other human beings what it's like to be human, and but yet painting the mad, most magical mystery worlds without any special effects so we can all enter into that shared space like kids. I love that. Mm. Yeah. And we've talked a lot, uh, we've, we've used the word trust a lot today, but I think there's something really great as well about trusting the audience. You know, so if, if you're all sitting in that formation, then sure, you're, I can, you're in a car. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. You know? yeah, 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 I don't yeah. need to see a car. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that's the final part of the transaction, you know. It's mm. just the same way. It's what's happening on stage. That, 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 they're so vital. The audience is so vital. <laughs> Work that ignores that drives me mad, actually. I like mm. to be included. That's, I'm with you. It's fun. I'm yeah. really, I'm such yeah. a great audience member. I am like a child. <laughs> My <laughs> mind is wide open. I love magic. I'm very easily persuaded to go anywhere magical in my head. Um, but yeah, I, I feel that work that um, invites the audience in. It's the best. Yeah. What's the best place for people to find out more about the shows that you're doing and, and the work that's going on? Cool. So you'll find everything at equalvoicesarts.com, um, which I will <laughs> update soon. And you'll find um, information about our new show, Where Our Shadows Meet which is coming in January 2021. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 2021. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to be the best place to, to stay up to date. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.